Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Welcome to the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin. My first salary negotiation was a hot mess. And I've heard from many listeners that their own bad salary negotiation experience has made them even more nervous about trying it again. Let's push through that discomfort together and review the do's and don'ts of a successful salary negotiation with Gerda Mailai. She's an expert negotiator trained by world-class experts from MIT and Harvard Law School. For more than 10 years, she's helped hundreds of people negotiate their job offers and increase their compensation by tens, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars at top companies like Meta, Google, McKinsey, Uber, and other top startups and institutions. And today we get access to all her best tips and tricks. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Gerda. So tell us about your background and how you became a negotiation expert. Yeah. Hi, Lauren. Thank you so much for having me. I have a passion for negotiations that also has been uh, sort of magnified over the years. So first, I'm from Albania. We are a developing country, so you have to have a bit of a hustle to get anything done there. So it does come uh, internally a lot. I also have a passion for behavioral sciences I have a degree in math and econ and engineering. So I'm always like trying to analyze numbers as well. But it was also magnified when I worked at salary.com as well as LinkedIn in product operations. So all of that background came together, including some um, grad school classes from expert negotiators, like world-class negotiators at MIT and Harvard Law School. Uh, All of that has informed my negotiations philosophy, uh, which is what I share with my clients and, and my students. Well, and I love it because I feel like you can take a negotiation class and everything sounds great in theory, but then there's real life. And so you have not only kind of these like expert principles and best practices, but you've also applied it in real life. 
because you've had jobs, you've had to negotiate job offers. You know, I'm curious, you teach salary negotiation classes or negotiation classes. Was there something that made you feel like I'm pulled to teach these classes? Was it that your friends were constantly asking you and they were getting results? Like, how does one just say, I'm good at this. Now let me decide to teach it. Yeah, I I just have this throwback into a memory back from high school and I would just carry around this book from an HBS professor on negotiations like I, I as other high school kids were were reading much more interesting stuff that's what I was drawn to so honestly I think it's a little bit of just what I was passionate about but as people my friends around me were uh, negotiating their offers I would jump in with tips and then they would get more money and then they would refer me to their friends and it expanded beyond salary. It went on like how to negotiate your rent and like flights and things like that, or even like health insurance claims and things like that. So I think that life chose me rather than I chose it proactively. I just got pulled into it. I'm so curious too, because you have uh, on your website that you teach strategies that help people obviously negotiate their salaries and that you had some clients in 2023 increase their offers by $215,000 to $550,000. First of all, I can't imagine anyone making $550,000. So like that like blows my mind. Can you just tell us the story or add some context to that? Because that sounds wild. Yeah. And I want to make sure I protect their privacy. But the 550K, it was the increase from their mm-hmm. initial offer, not their absolute offer. So their offer was obviously great. Already high. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> high and greater. The part that is most interesting to me about that is we're in the time of tech layoffs and uh, people are getting down level. They're also being lowballed on their offers. And it's been extremely rewarding working with people to, to get better offers. And they are getting even better than they had before. I think it's a matter of knowing your worth and being very professional and nice. I can share more tips. I think we're getting to that. But there are some tactical advice. And then there's also like the, just stick with it. Don't let the negotiations fatigue get to you. Uh, If you put in the work, you will get results. Yeah. It's interesting also because you would think that when someone starts making, you know, 500,000 plus dollars a year, that like there aren't negotiations. Like I always envision, like once you get to a certain level, like you're done with that. And it's nice to know, like even the people making $500,000 and those of us who are making, you know, less than that negotiations exist no matter what. So this is, you know, one of those skill sets that doesn't go away. Maybe even like the stakes are even higher. So I I do want to get into tips and tricks and the way we're going to outline this episode is I was thinking we could do kind of like a list of do's and a list of don'ts. I do want to start though with setting the tone of what are some of the biggest salary negotiation mistakes that you see people make repeatedly? Mm-hmm. And first, just to address your earlier point, I believe that everything is negotiable. So I don't see any area of your life where you're like, oh, now I make 550K and I can't negotiate anymore. Or or even less, your first job, I negotiated my first, my, my ever, first ever salary. So I really think everything is negotiable. And I think that has helped me. Uh, And so to get to your question, you said, what are some big don'ts? I think, well, the biggest one is don't share a preferred salary or even the preferred salary range. Every interaction with a company from the very first call, sometimes even when you're applying online, they have one of those 
boxes of like, what's your preferred salary? Even that's a negotiation move. So you need to think of every interaction as a negotiation. And if you are hiring a negotiations consultant, the earlier, the better, because you have more chances of getting it right. So my number one tip is don't share a preferred salary or a preferred range. The range part is a bit of a trick math question is how I see it, because once you say a range, you're telling them what the lowest number that you're willing to accept is. And it's basically you've shown your hand. Uh, so that's how they get you. But even sharing your preferred salary, I really strongly recommend not to share that. And the reason is because you might say something too low and they were probably willing to give you more, or you might say something too high and then they think, you know, they can't get you or like they'll be turned off by what by what you say. So that that's one tip. Let me know if you'd like me to keep going. Well, I'm curious. So in the box, if you have to put a number, would you just put a bunch of zeros or like one, 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 or like a million? Like, do you throw out like the crazy? I mean, like, what do you put in the box if you have to answer it in order to move along in the application? Yeah, that's a great question. So it depends on the box. So if the box lets you put text, you can say something like, I want to make sure this is a mutually good fit first, and then we can discuss salary. If the box only allows you to put numbers, you put a number that's not meaningful to you. So yeah, something like zeros or ones, whatever it allows. And if it forces you to pick from a range, just pick something that doesn't make sense for your role. Okay. And then in terms of not giving them the range, as a recruiter, I always ask them, what's your salary expectation, right? And I was partially asking for some of the reasons you're saying, I want to know, are we even remotely close? Are we within the same range? It was like a question we were just trained to always start or like kind of almost end the first phone call with. So what do you say when they ask, what are your salary expectations in a phone call? Yeah, I recommend that people say something like, and I actually think this is true. Like, I want to make sure this is a mutually good fit first, and we can discuss salary later. Because I genuinely think that's the right practice. Again, we're I'm thinking mostly around maybe tech people or or jobs that having a good fit is matters. And this is not like I guess retail. What about when they when they list the salary range? So if they say this job makes between eighty and a hundred thousand dollars, because salary transparency laws are now happening. What if they ask you, are you okay with that range? Yeah. So first, as you mentioned, salary transparency laws, I want to cover that very quickly. So basically some states such as California, New York, I believe Colorado and Washington, and maybe a few others, they uh, there are laws where job posts need to share a salary range. But there are if you know, if you if you look online, there are a lot of journalists covering that these ranges are not very truthful and companies can pay below or above. So it is a good kind of benchmark if they're being truthful to get a sense of how, you know, if you fall within that range, but they can still pay you less or more. So if you're on the call to get back to your question and a recruiter says, well, the range is between 80 and 100, like, what do you think? I recommend continuing on that line that, you know, I want to make sure this is a mutually good fit first. We can discuss salary later and not give an indication whether it's good or bad because it might hurt you eventually if you do give an indication. Yeah. Yeah. What about some other don'ts? So you talked about one of the biggest mistakes people make. What are some of the non-obvious insights about salary negotiations? 
Yeah, another don't is don't negotiate until you have a written offer in hand. And written doesn't mean just email, but it means an actual official offer letter where you can sign and now you're employed. There's a couple of reasons why I recommend this. Well, first is once you have a written offer in hand, it only goes out to one person for one role. And so that means that you are the preferred person for that role. They've gone through all the hurdles of you know, getting alignment, having so many people interview you, approvals and all that. And so that's the place where they love you the most. And that's when you can start negotiating. So that's one reason. The other reason is that's when also the company is less likely to rescind their offer, especially in these times of layoffs. Companies are rescinding offers more than before. But the point where it happens the least is at the past the written offer because it damages a reputation if they rescind it then. And so it's best to wait until then. I will also say as a recruiter, by the time we got through all the like jumps and hoops and, you know, did all that to get you the offer letter, we really want you. We don't want to start this process over. We are so much closer to closing a very small gap than we are before. And to your point about like rescinding the offer and things like that, I also think that's a really good point about that's the time when they love you the most. And like, they've gotten everybody on board. They've pulled the budget. They know like this is, this is basically a go minus maybe a couple details. So that's a really good point versus I see exactly what you're saying. Like if they said it via email or you guys have been discussing, you come to conclusions, like it's like the deal isn't done until the, you know, the, the paper has been signed. I totally agree with that. I really appreciate your recruiter perspective on this. Yeah. I mean, I just know like as a recruiter, we're like, no, please don't make us start all over on this role. (laughs) We're so close to getting you this person that you're happy about. And some hiring managers are really tough. So like, you know, and multiple people have to sign off and it's a lot of work. So, okay. What about one other don't? And then we can move to the more positive things that you see. This might be obvious or not, but don't lie about having another offer. Like having another offer is one of the biggest leverage points you can have to make a company increase their their initial offer. But you don't want to lie about it. First, of course, it's unethical. Just don't lie in general. Uh, But it's also a strategic move not to lie because, well, first, the world is so small. People can find out. And second, recruiters, as you well know, they do this day in and day out, and they can pick up on microaggression, uh, micro expressions where you think you can get away with this lie. I'm so good at lying. Let me lie. But they can pick up on it because someone who has another offer, one is more confident, two, they're under a time pressure to let the other company know. And recruiters who are negotiating day in and day out for decades they know these things and they can pick up and you as a, you know, as an employee, as a candidate, you might not have thought through all of these things that are obvious to someone who's been doing this for a while. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I completely agree. It's also the worst thing is to ever get caught in the lie. And I just would never take the risk. Like, I just don't think there's any way in the world that would be worth it, especially if they found out. I'm curious for some other don'ts, like, Sometimes I'll hear people, they'll get the job offer and they love it. They're like, this is amazing. But they're told no matter what you should negotiate. Is it also a don't to just always accept the offer as is? Even if it's like, let's say you wanted a hundred, they offer you 120 and you're like, oh my God, that's so much more. Like I wanted, I want to just yell and scream and say yes and take it and not say anything. Should you still negotiate? 
Yeah, I strongly, I feel very strongly about this. I think people should still negotiate because it's not a matter of what your range and what you can be okay with, but you also need to take into consideration what the company's budget is and what their needs are. Maybe they need to fill this role as soon as possible and they would be happy to give you, you know, 150. You're happy with 100, but they can throw 150 at you. So if you say yes at 120, you're left 30K on the table. It also just shows good judgment, good business acumen by not jumping to things very quickly on the spot. I, I strongly recommend to my clients and my students, don't say yes or no to a verbal offer on the spot, even if it's really bad, even if it's really good. Just take the time to think about it. It just shows maturity and shows that you are an experienced business person. And you can just, it's okay to say, let me think about it and get back to you. Take the time to strategize, craft a good email and response. And then, you know, depending on whether it was lower or higher than what you wanted, uh, you can take that direction. But just saying yes or no on the spot, it makes you look like rushed yeah. and a naive. Yeah. And almost like desperate, right? Like yeah, you exactly. you said yes too quickly and now they might second guess like, oh, did we offer too much for her? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So I want to move into the do's because I want to get into your advice on kind of you have this approach and there's some tactical things. You said that there's some behavioral approaches and tactics. So let's get into the do's for a successful salary negotiation. Where would you start? I would say getting another offer, as I mentioned, is one of the best leverages you can have. And I already mentioned to only negotiate after your written offer. So that was a don't in the version of a do as well. But getting another offer is the best leverage you can have. The other reason is that you would be surprised, even if you're initially not excited about that other offer, you'd be surprised that some people actually end up being very excited about it. They learn more, they meet more people, they like the people, they... Uh, maybe they give you an amazing salary or total compensation. You never know how it turns out. But even if you're not very excited about it, it will give you the confidence to go to the initial company you're negotiating with and asking for, you know, asking for more and maybe what you want. I can back this up. I have a client in my life that I've been working with and she interviewed for a job that she was not overly excited about. I was like, take the interview. Worst case scenario, it's practice. Ended up getting an offer the confidence boost of that was priceless. Ended up that she got, while she was in the middle of that interview process, she got basically recruited to to for another job. So she didn't even apply for it. It's, almost, it's so funny how the universe works like yeah. this, right? Like now somebody wants me. So now someone reached out. Okay. Yeah. So she gets the other job offer. And I swear it was the confidence of that thing that yeah. she was like, I don't really want it. Again, I and I hate to say this because I'm like, as a recruiter, I'm like, well, that kind of wasted their time, yada, yada. So I'm a little sensitive. But truly, from a candidate perspective, I was like, wow, we didn't even plan for that and the confidence boost alone. Not to mention, the more you get job offers, the more you can kind of see how people put the offers together, what they offer. I just, I agree with you. It's like, there's nothing bad that comes from it other than I know it is a time suck. And for someone listening to this where they're like, Okay, what else do you got? Yeah. Because I can barely get one offer. Like, so tell me something else. So we'll, we're going to move into other tips too. But I, I just anecdotally, I had to back that up. Yeah, no, thank you. And I, it also signals to the, let's say you have a main company you're negotiating with. It signals to them that you're desirable in the market. And yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's priceless. Another tip is, again, some of these may sound very obvious to some people, but not obvious to other people. So I'm just going to share it anyway. Be professional and nice in every interaction and with everyone. So, so I do have some one-on-one clients who have this misconception that 
if I play hard to get, they will want me more and they'll throw more money at me. That's a common misconception. Don't fall for it. People want people who are nice and they're good to work with and they're pleasant. And also people who are excited about the role that they're being offered a job in. And it doesn't pay at all to play hard to get or anything like that. Just be very nice and professional. I can move on to another tip. Yeah, next one. Mm-hmm. I did actually, I, we already covered this, but yeah, I'll always negotiate your offer even, even when you are very happy with it. And even actually when you're not happy with it, one of my personal anecdotes is I got very low bald at a previous job and I was very excited about the job. And I told them like, there, this, there's a huge gap between this and my market value. And they came back with almost double, which made it a, you know, very, very good offer. So <laughs> Wait, okay. Can you, can you explain or elaborate on this a little bit? So your dream company comes to you, they offer you it. You're like, I should take this because it's my dream company, but you knew you're like, I can't, it's way below what I'm being offered. Yeah. So what were, what were some of the like things you said or like, how did you leverage it to get it higher? I honestly, I just said, Hey, there's, there's a big gap between what I think the role entails, my experience, my current compensation and what you've offered me there's a huge gap. Like, I don't know if maybe there's a misunderstanding here uh, because it was a truly a low ball offer. But then when they came back, it was almost double. It was a much better offer with uh, more benefits. And at that point, it was actually a really good deal. So I went with that one. What about if you are negotiating and they say no, they just tell you, you know, we can't, we can't meet that. What do you, do you say, okay, let me negotiate for other things? Like what if money is the thing where they're like, it's the only thing we can't negotiate with? What's your advice then? Yeah. So uh, again, you need to sort of factor in, do you have another offer? Then you can pull in and say, Hey, I actually have another offer, you know, but can you move on compensation at this point? Because some, some uh, companies, they are not authorized or some recruiters or hiring managers, they are not authorized to give you more money unless you have another offer. This is actually true for, for example, I know this from a person, like a close friendship experience with uh, Meta, especially if you're like a recent MBA grad and they have very standardized compensation packages for MBA grads. And if you don't have another offer, everyone's getting the same offer. And so if you have another offer, you mentioned that. Otherwise, what I actually recommend a lot of people do is before you start negotiating, you make a list of what entails all the factors of a job. So base salary, bonus, sign-on bonus, RSUs and stock options, if they're applicable, title, location, slash work from home, you know, direct reports, if it's applicable and all of that. So you make this list and then you order it by priority. And then you actually start negotiating by what's most important to you. So sometimes what's most important is you want to work from home more than any salary can ever make up for it. So that's the first thing you want to ask for. And then you move down the list as the more, you know, the more they say no to certain things and you go to the other items and uh, balance Mm -hmm. that way. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. We used to ask people when we would actually get to the negotiation, we would point blank say, what are the top three most important things to you? And to be honest, the people who usually got the top three things they wanted were really crystal clear about what they wanted and they could articulate it. The person who was all over the place, it would almost like come across as greedy. Like you don't even know what you want. You just want more. And it was sort of an attitude. And I, I was working at Hulu at the time and the philosophy of the CTO, at least for tech offers, was he didn't want to play games. And so his thing was like, we come out with our best offer right away because we're not trying to lowball you and go back and forth. And so it was also a values culture fit thing, right? Like in t- one of your earlier points was also be really kind and nice, be excited about the role. Like one of the worst things you can do is just come across as like greedy and like you don't really care, play hard to get because we're excited about you and, and the negotiation should not make it so we're going to all of a sudden have this weird breakup situation. So that's another really good point. As we wrap up, what are some other final tips you want to share with people about salary negotiation, especially for women out there? I mean, look, it is different for women. When we negotiate, we are not seen as being assertive. We're called aggressive and bitchy and all the other names. So what would your unique advice be to women who are out there trying to negotiate their salaries? Yeah, I mean, actually, there are studies that show that women are seen as aggressive when they negotiate. So again, I always advise for people to do it in a very nice professional way. And sometimes you want to bring in uh, maybe your family, regardless if it's your family of origin or your own family or things like that. So you can say things like, you know, that unfortunately, this doesn't work for my family at this time. Like, can we can we reconsider something higher? You don't want to bring that up front because, of course, a job is based on your skills and fit and all that. But if you have to appeal to the human side, which I usually save more towards the end, you can say things like that. Though actually the best place to use this is if you are applying at a startup or small company and they generally offer a lower salary cap, like cash total compensation and more are stock options. Um, that's how early stage companies work. And you, your needs are such that you want more total cash and less stock options. You can say, hey, my family's needs at this time are such that we need more total cash at this stage. Would you be able to move things around and use that as an angle more than um, just to show that you're not just being greedy? Again, not that like it's okay to negotiate, but just the perception side of it. Yeah, that's one advice I have. Okay. I just thought of one final question. When you are at those final, final negotiations, do you think they're better to be had in person over the phone? Well, in person is kind of hard. So over the phone or via email, is there one way that works better than the other? I personally negotiate over email because it lets me craft my thoughts very carefully and my message very thoughtfully. But most recruiters will hop on a call with you and just ask to have this conversation on the call. So you need to be prepared to have these conversations on a call. It's okay. A couple of tips here. First, it's okay to say, let me take some time and get back to you on this. So don't respond on the spot uh, because you want to take some time to think about things. And one other very big tip I offer is, let's say a, a recruiter on the call says, okay, so how does this number sound? You want to come back to them if it's a very good number. And summarize what was said on that call, if, especially if it's good stuff, summarize it in an email. So, hey, Lauren, thank you for hopping on a call with me. You mentioned, you know, thank you for bumping up the offer from 
150 to 200. You know, I really appreciate it as well as the RSU to from this to that, sign and bonus this to that, because it has happened happened a couple of times when when the the actual written offer comes, it's lower, and you know some some of the components have been lost in the communication, and my clients have felt blindsided. So this is something like lawyers will advise you a lot to do, like have it in writing. And I I borrowed it from some lawyer friends to just always follow up with. So. Yeah. I love that. Our content director, Kayleen, always goes uh, CYA, which is cover yeah. your ass. So she puts everything in writing, <laughs> like every, like whatever it is with a brand sponsor, this, that, it's like everything is recapped again. And I have learned a lot from her with that because it does come back when people are like, oh, you never sent this thing, you know? And I know that we make these jokes about passive aggressive emails, but in a negotiation, it also, in my opinion, shows that professionalism when you're able to you know, concisely recap the email and send it back. So it's going to do nothing but help you. Gerda, these tips have been amazing. I love the the do's and don'ts angle. Where can people follow you, learn more about you? You obviously teach this class to so tell them, and then I'll put all these links to the show note in the show notes that you mentioned as well. Yeah. So the best place is my website. It's yournegotiations.com, yournegotiations.com com. People can reach out wherever. I also have uh, an Instagram and LinkedIn. We can just share those separately. I have an upcoming course on Maven, but all of this info will be on yournegotiations.com. I also do have a private community on Facebook uh, where we share a lot of negotiations tips, including like now some people jump in and share their own negotiations tips. I love it when the community like sustains itself sometimes, but we, I respond there with some quick tips, but I do offer one-on-one consulting as well. As you mentioned at the beginning, I was able to increase, I've been able to increase offers, you know, in the to 20, even 550K from their initial offers, which has been very rewarding. But yeah, yournegotiations.com is primarily where it's at. I also liked your tip about like, if you're thinking about hiring a salary negotiations expert, get them early on in the process. That was a really good tidbit. So we'll put all the links to how to get in touch with Gerda, how to hire her, how to take her courses in the show notes. And Gerda, thank you so much again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contestant Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review our show. It's the best thing you can do if you appreciate our advice every week. In the show notes, I added lots of links to get in touch with Gerda, including her incredible negotiations class. Gerda is actually offering listeners 15% off her class when you use the code Contessa at checkout for a limited time. So check the show notes to learn more and get all those links. And don't forget, she is offering you guys a special discount code on her negotiations class. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.